0: All right. Welcome back once again, everybody. I'm Don Seifert. It's the Dr. Tree Fruit and Don podcast. I'm here with Dr. Carrie Peter. Say hi, Carrie.
1: Hello. Hello.
0: And this is our first episode of our fourth season. Hard to believe. It is hard to believe. Uh, It is February 7th, 2023. Uh, We've got a relatively short episode here for you today. Uh, I'm going to start off by giving us, uh, giving everyone the, the schedule for the upcoming winter commercial tree fruit schools. Uh, which some are some of our big, big meetings for the tree fruit team. Next week, I will have this episode out before these meetings start. So if you're listening, you're, you're getting it on time. Um, but the first meeting is on Tuesday, February 14th. It is the Central Susquehanna meeting. It is in the Snyder County building at 713 Bridge Street in Sellings Grove. Wednesday, February 15th is the Southeast region meeting. That's at Berks County Ag Center. 1238 County Welfare Road in Leesport. Thursday, February 16th, is at the Electric City Trolley Museum Station and Museum on 300 Cliff Street in Scranton, PA. Uh, Then we go to the next week. There is an Adams County meeting at the Biglerville High School at 161 North Main Street in Biglerville. Additionally, uh, during that meeting, there's a Spanish session. So there will be Spanish language programming at that meeting, same address. Tuesday, February 21st, Lancaster and York Counties at the Lancaster Farm and Home Center. That is 1383 Arcadia Road in Lancaster, PA. And then finally for that week, we have a Franklin County meeting at the Family Table Restaurant at 2830 Lincoln Way West, Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. And then the final set of meetings, the, the Western Swing of the State, we have the Appalachian Fruit Region the at the Blair County Convention Center. 1 Convention Center Drive in Altoona, an Erie County meeting at Birch Farms Country Market, 9210 Side Hill Road in Northeast PA, that's northeast the city, not northeastern Pennsylvania as in a region, and then finally we have our last meeting at Sorgel Orchards on March 2nd, uh, 2573 Brant School Road in Wexford. So after that long, long list of of meetings and their dates and their schedules, uh, those are all available online or most of them are available online in case you'd like to register. You can call your county office. They'll forward you to uh, a registration number up at the folks at State College there in case you want to register that way. Most of us take walk-ins, but I ask that you please pre-register so that we can get an accurate count for lunch. Because I know if we don't have enough food, everyone will be very, very unhappy. So anyway, after that. Including the speakers.
1: The speakers will be unhappy too if there's not enough food. (laughs)
0: Oh, I'm sure. So after that little bit of housekeeping, Carrie, you wanted to talk a little bit about fire
1: blight canker? Yeah. Well, in general, canker management. So I know right now people are out in the orchard and pruning. This is the time of year that folks are pruning their... Primarily the apple trees, peach trees will probably come in the next couple of weeks or so. Uh, and so I always like to remind people about pruning out that dead wood in their trees. And you often hear me say cankers. Well, canker is just a fancy way of saying dead wood. Um, and 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 as I remind people, there's no such thing as good dead wood in the trees. Uh, so just to kind of review uh, as far as what a canker is. So cankers are localized dead areas of bark and underlying wood on twigs, branches, and trunks. They can, these sections of dead wood or cankers, they can cause, be caused by living things like fungi or bacteria or non-living things um, like some kind of trauma event such as hail or high or low temperature or some other type of injury. So for a, for this canker to occur, it needs some kind of wound, an entry point. Uh, and it's important to remove these cankers because they can serve as an overwintering source for fungal spores. Uh, fungal spores that are would be great for that causes bitter rot or brown rot or black rot or white rot, especially on fruits. Also, um, it's an overwintering source for bacteria like fire blight. And so, you know, I really pound the pavement with regards to removing fire blight cankers because the Erwinia amylovora bacteria, the causal agent of fire blight, it exists at that living wood that borders that dead tissue. So you not only want to remove that dead wood, but you actually want to remove living wood just beyond that dead wood. And so when you keep this dead wood in the trees, it can serve, as I mentioned, as an overwintering source for disease the following season or seasons uh, by not by keeping it in there, um, especially for fire blight. Uh, and so to ensure that you're pruning out all of this dead wood in your orchard or all the cankers, it might require a couple walkthroughs um, through your orchard to make sure that you're finding everything um, because you may not be able to see things in different lighting. Um, but as far as how to draw your attention to these sections of, of your tree to be able to prune them out, cankered wood or deadwood has very distinct characteristics. Um, so these are sort of the, the diagnostic characteristics that I always tell people what they need to look for. So they're localized areas. Um, the bark can look roughened or crack or wrinkled. And this can be a, um, especially apparent around wounds or branch stubs uh, or old pruning cuts. You may even see like a separation of the bark from the wood. Um, the bark is maybe darker than the surrounding bark tissue. That's very, it's very characteristic, especially of fire blight cankers. Um, the surrounding bark tissue is going to be healthy. It's going to be a lighter shade. Uh, The rough and dark areas um, can appear sunken or wrinkled, as I mentioned. And oftentimes you might see fungi, um, opportunistic fungi that are attached or, you know, fungi that are are associated with these sunken, wrinkled areas. And you may see kind of black, small black um, pimple-like fungal spores, these fruiting bodies. And so they can also be uh, on the wood. And so, um, you know, wood decaying fungi uh, often appears white. Uh, You may see white fungi that's sort of like sprouting from these dead areas. Uh, I've had some people think this is a good thing. It's not. (laughs) White fungi actually just means that there's dead wood there. Um, So that's also, you know, kind of helps you draw your attention to be like, oh, hey, wait, that's dead wood there because that white fungi shouldn't be there. So I need to prune, prune that out. Uh, another telltale sign of dead wood is uh, a fungus called Nectria um, or Nectria twig blade or nectria canker. And this is really bright orange. And this only grows on deadwood. Uh, this depending on the year, depending on the amount of moisture in the in the orchard. Uh, This can be really very prominent. And often I call it Mother Nature's highlighter. It really draws your attention to where that dead wood is. And really, the way to fix it is just pruning it out. And, And just to reiterate, this fungus only grows on dead wood. If this fungus is present, that means there's dead wood underneath of it. And that dead wood came first. Okay, so there's you don't have to worry about some kind of... Major infection in the orchard, that fungus is only there because the dead wood is there. And a way to get rid of it, that fungus, that bright orange fungus, is just to prune out, you know, prune out that dead wood. Uh, in stone fruit trees, you might see gamosis um, that could be oozing from these dead wood regions or these cankers. And gamosis is, is basically a response from the tree. Um, and it's often due to uh, a stress. During the tree or due to a fungal infection. But regardless, when there's gamosis, there's often dead wood associated to it. And again, it just draws your attention to prune out that area of the tree. Uh, when you do see cankers, especially in apple orchards uh, where there may have been a history of fire blight, the rule of thumb is pruning six to 12 inches beyond that location of where you see the dead wood or where you see the visible canker's edge. Uh, if the cankers are established in the trunk. <laughs> or if an infected tree is very young and it's established in the trunk, you need to make some difficult decisions. You may have to decide to yank out the tree. Or you may have to stump the tree. Um, as stumping, When we say stumping the tree, we're talking about pruning the trunk, lopping it off significantly down below. So you're creating a, a much smaller tree as a result uh so if you don't want to remove the tree for whatever reason this is an option trees do come back um but this is either remove the tree or stump the tree if you do see a canker in the center of the tree yes don i see you've got a question
0: yeah so carrie when we make these cuts uh do we need to sterilize our equipment
1: that is an Excellent question. During winter, no. You don't need to sterilize anything during the winter because the bacteria is dormant. It's not actively moving around. The bacteria is, for fire blight, is only awake when the tree is awake. Uh, so that is, you, you don't have to worry about messing with anything with sterilization. And we actually decided to test this one year and we really didn't notice any increase or uptick in Fire blight incidents, when we decided to cut through cankers or, you know, we, we didn't sterilize our pruning equipment, um, we just cut as is. During the season's a different story because typically during the season, fire quite active and can be quite active in the orchard. You can have ooze around. So some people are more comfortable with sterilizing their pruning equipment during the season because the trees are awake. So the fire blight bacteria is going to be awake. But during the winter, you don't have to worry about sterilizing. Don't fool with spraying anything on your pruning equipment. So that's an excellent question. Uh, So again, yes. So, you know, very, if you've had a history of fire blights um, the last couple of years, wouldn't hurt to kind of go through those orchards a few times under different lighting, just to make sure you've gotten everything. Uh, And again, you may have to make some difficult decisions um, to be able to prune you know, to be able to effectively remove those cankers, those that dead wood from the tree. In the case of stone fruit trees, when you get when it becomes time to prune stone fruit trees, brown rot can um, is notorious for causing cankers. Um, so again, you may have to make some difficult decisions with regards to seeing um, you know seeing damage in your trees. Also, I will say on the insect side of things. A white peach scale can choke off limbs. So if you see white peach scale and it looks like this white thick mass underneath of the branch or underneath the limb, you may want to consider cutting that out and burning it. Um, Because um, if you haven't effectively uh, managed that white peach scale in the previous season, that white peach scale could very much be alive underneath those uh, limbs. So I highly recommend to definitely burn that tissue or burn those um, in, you know, pieces of the peach trees that you prune out that could be infected with the white peach scale. Uh, and if you have removed um, peach trees as a result of white peach scale because the white peach scale killed the tree, and I can relate to this because I had to remove about probably 15 trees between a couple of my orchards because of white peach scale infection. Make sure you, you definitely burn those trees. Um, In the case of fire blight prunings, if you are, if they're large chunks of trees, definitely put them on the burn pile. But if they are just, um, you know, small branches and twigs that can easily be chopped up by your kind of like as far as your, um, you, your mower or anything that's chopping up thick brush, that will be enough to kind of chop things up and let them break down. Um, but large stuff, stick it on the burn pile. So so that is the basically the very broad brush strokes of good canker management, or as I say, dead wood management. And I will end the way I start and just remind people there's no such thing as good dead wood. You want to get it out of your orchard, out of the tree.
0: Nice. Thanks, Carrie. I know we talked about this briefly before we got on air and you know, we said that folks are going to be doing this in the next couple of weeks. And um ideally here, you know, we'll have some decent weather for folks to get out and pruning and they'll take some of what you talked about and put it into practice. So
1: yeah, hopefully hopefully
0: they actually won't yeah. need to put it in practice. But yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think over the years, I think folks have become very good and very mindful, and I've tried to provide enough resources online to be able to show people examples. And, and everything I talked about today, I will follow up with a Fruit Times article um, just to kind of reinforce those take-home messages. Cool.
0: And then I know you and I talked about uh, in the next couple of weeks, maybe putting together a little post-harvest management series for this.
1: Yes, yes. So, you know, this time of year, uh, you know, even though apples aren't on the tree, but they are in storage. And even though apples are in storage, they can still get disease. And so over the last several months, uh, I've been hearing um, some reports that have piqued my interest. Um, with regards to some post-harvest diseases popping up. So I thought it would be good to, before things really kick off and go bonkers crazy before the season starts, that we would revisit post-harvest diseases and post-harvest management. And the aim is to not only listen to me, but I'm, I'm planning on to get my um, PhD student, Johanny Castro, and some folks from the USDA Food Quality Lab who uh, basically do eat, sleep, and breathe post-harvest um, diseases and post everything that goes the in and in, ins and outs of of what causes post harvest diseases mycotoxin contamination and and everything in between so they're doing some pretty exciting stuff so hoping to have po- maybe a couple episodes worth of material for folks to listen to
0: yeah i i was pretty excited when we when we talked to those folks the other day so yeah
1: so i'm i'm excited too so so beyond um, stay tuned stay tuned
0: awesome Well, do you have anything else you'd like to talk about before we sign off?
1: Other than um, just to reiterate what Don said about the winter meetings, if, uh, you know, we Don listed all the meetings there. So please be sure to register for those meetings. Uh, um, You know, there will be lots of really great information. You'll be able to get several category credits and a couple core credits with these meetings. Um, for, For I will say from the disease perspective, I'm going to be covering Um, Some new fungicides, how um, best management practices, and also uh, the buzzword these days is ecological management. So many, some folks may have not have heard about this before, but the way I interpret ecological management is using the best of both worlds of conventional and organic. Um, You know, unfortunately in the East coast organic management can get pretty overwhelmed, but over the last several years, I've tried to better understand how to incorporate manage organic management practices into a conventional system. And I think this is where this may be um, you know, this might be the future with regards to how we, you know, handle disease management in the east, um, especially in light of what's coming down the pike uh, with the EPA and fungicide registrations. Um, so that that could be a whole other topic for a podcast with regards to. Uh, the EPA's review of, of especially broad-spectrum fungicides like Ziram and Mancazeb and Captan and Thiram and Furbam; uh, these are he- are being heavily, heavily scrutinized. Uh, and so uh, we have to be proactive and think about alternatives. But not, not only that, but how to think about uh, adjusting our programs to meet within the new reg- potential new regulations coming down the pike. Um, while also making sure that we have a good crop year to year that doesn't get overwhelmed by disease. So that yeah. is, those are the broad brushstrokes there. And I'm sure, I know we're going to have some good information about codling moth, I believe, at the meetings and, and some good information from the horticultural folks. And I, some of the meetings are going to have some herbicide, strictly herbicide talks too. So I don't remember where everything's happening, but I will be there for all of them. So... Come on down. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm really excited to listen to your talk. I think it'll be really neat. And uh, I will add that, you know, if, if you like listening to this or you have a bunch of questions that we don't generally cover, um, coming to these meetings is a great way to get some FaceTime uh, with the specialists and, and ask them your particular question. Um, you know, it, it is the best way to say, hey, I have this problem. What do you think?
1: For sure. And, you know, with these winter meetings, in many cases, um, just because of how big Pennsylvania is, uh, you know, we see folks maybe twice a year, some growers because of distance. So I'm always open, like whatever questions you have, bring them, even if it's not connected to the talks. Uh, You know, it's like while I'm there, you know, pick my brain. So um, and I know that the other specialists um, share the same sentiment. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. So it's uh that's a good point, Don. That's a good point to to basically drive home. Come cool. with your questions.
0: Awesome. Well, with that, uh, we'll be seeing you folks in the next couple weeks and say goodbye, everybody.
1: See you later. Thanks for listening.